How nice to be to be here this morning. You are a long, long way away. Anyway, good to see you, and a delight to share with you God's word. Am I loud and clear? All right, great. Let me pray, and we'll turn to this very interesting story from the book of Numbers. I thank you, Father, again for your word, which is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And we pray today that this word would guide us to Jesus and to the life that pleases you. For his glory's sake. Amen. I want to tell you a story about a couple called Charlotte and Brian. They met on a dating website and began to go out. Charlotte uh, was a doctor, in fact a surgeon, and wealthy. Brian had an IT business, but through a corrupt accountant who he, it went bust. He, the guy took, took all his money. Anyway, they went out, they fell in love, they got married. But still Brian couldn't find a job. It didn't matter because Charlotte's money covered both of them. He spent most of his day playing video games, actually. Charlotte's friends thought he had conned her, that he was what's called a gold digger. He just married her for her money. But she, she loved him and believed in him. One day she told a friend over coffee that next week was Brian's birthday and she'd bought him a brand new Mercedes. And in fact, they're going to be in a family together, start a family, and all she wanted in life was to spend all her days with Brian, who she loved so much. Unbeknownst to Charlotte, a kilometre away in a motel room, Brian was in bed with Chloe. He met Chloe in a pub. They began an affair. When she asked him about Charlotte, he said, don't worry about her. The silly old fool is so obsessed with me. She believes all my lies. We've now got a joint bank account. I'm taking money out each month. I put a down deposit on a condo in the cold, on the Gold Coast. And once I bled her dry, we'll spend our life together. So there Charlotte talking tenderly of her love for Brian and her desire to spend her days with him. There's Brian talking her down, insulting her, and betting another woman. Now, you could tell the story, which, which I made up, <laughs> again and again, a thousand times over in a world of relationships. And you tell that story again and again in the world of God and human relationships. Now, just uh, I'm going to assume you know little about numbers, not the best-known book of the Bible, not often preached on, so just some background to today's story. You all know the story of how Israel was slaves in Egypt. You know that story? Yes, yes. Uh, the plagues, the, the Passover, they're, they're set free out of Egypt by God's power. They cross the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai. They're given the law. And they set off for the promised land, Canaan, a fantastic land God will give to them. So there they are at the beginning of Numbers on the brink of the promised land, about to enter the land and take their inheritance. God sends in, they send in 12 spies to check out the land. They say, it's a fantastic land, flowing with milk and honey, verdant and wonderful, but, and a big but, the Canaanites are huge. Their army's massive. Their cities fortified, they're huge. 
They will mow us, they'll wipe us out. We'll be like grasshoppers, wiped out. We can't do it. They're too terrifying, says 10 men. We can't do it. Let's go back to Egypt. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, agree with them except for one thing. Beautiful land, big army, but God is on our side. He promised we can do it. The people take a vote. They choose the ten over the two. They choose Egypt over the promised land. They choose Pharaoh over Moses. They choose idols over God. So God says, okay, every one of you will die in this wilderness. Except for Joshua and Caleb, you won't enter the land. But your children will. So for 40 years, they wandered around the wilderness so they're all just corpses dead in the desert outside Canaan. We now come to Numbers 25. We come full circle. 40 years later, the next generation about to enter the land. They went, they, they refused to go in because they were so scared at the size of their armies. Now we enter in Numbers 22, Moab, and hear what they say about Canaan. I'm sorry, what about the Israelites? They said this. Moab was terrified of the people, this is God's people, because they were numerous. And Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde will devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants in the field. If they'd heard how scared the Canaanites were, they would have believed Joshua and Caleb. So the king of Moab, Balak, has a plan. He employs a prophet called Balaam who hides himself out, to prophesy against Israel and to curse them. He tries and tries, but God won't let him. He keeps on blessing Israel because God loves his people and longs to bless them. It'd be great to pull the curtain back, wouldn't it, and hear what people say about you when you're not there. That might be a bit scary, actually. Well, if Israel pulled the curtain back and heard what God said about them, they'd love it. God said in chapter 24, How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Your dwelling places as well, like valleys that spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Israel, you are beautiful to me. That's what he thinks of them. What do they think of him? We come to Numbers chapter 25. The scene is a place called Shittim, or in English, Acacia Meadows, Acacia Grove. And there, in those meadows, Moab sets a honey trap. Actually, the, 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 the architect of the plan was Balaam. They know they're outnumbered. What can they do not to be destroyed by Israel? What can they do to get Israel to join them? Well, the answer is women. Let's tempt them with Moabite women. 
So guess what happens as the, as the Israeli men meet a Moabite woman? She says, oh, Reuben, come for dinner. After years of quail and manner, the thought of a hearty meal with a lovely woman is irresistible. And they stay for dinner. Then she says one day, oh, Reuben, it's a long way back to your camp. Just stay overnight. And they stay overnight. And they move from houses to shrines and altars. And we're told that Israel yoked itself, gave itself, committed itself, pledged itself to Baal. Spiritual and sexual betrayal. So verse 3, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So while, like Charlotte, God is speaking so tenderly of his love for Israel, Israel is bedding Baal and being unfaithful. So God tells Moses to kill all the leaders of Israel. Now, why them? Why not those who are unfaithful? Why the leaders? Because if you're a leader, you are responsible for what goes on. If you're a police commissioner, and on your watch, police are corrupt, it costs you your job. If you're a sports coach and your team are taking drugs, you have to resign. There was a man called Peter Hollingsworth. He was, for a while, the Governor General of Australia. Before then, he was the Archbishop of the Anglican Church of Brisbane. And while Archbishop, one of his priests, was a pedophile. Hollingsworth knew that, didn't report him, but put him in another church. It came out while he was Governor General. He was forced to resign in shame and ignominy. Hollingsworth wasn't a pedophile. He didn't touch children. He knew what was going on and did nothing. The leaders knew and did nothing. So says God, kill them. Now see that Moses softens the command and doesn't do that just kills the men themselves who are unfaithful. So a plague breaks out amongst these right camp. Well, the other people are now, they come before the Lord, they're suffering, they're weeping and wailing over their sin, they're kind of repenting, and then something unbelievable happens. Into the camp come two people. A man called Zimri, an Israelite, and a woman called Cosby, a Moabite. They walk through the camp while they're worshipping the Lord and weeping and wailing into a tent, into the inner part of the tent, and sin. Outrageous, isn't it? I mean, don't let your mind wander too far, but imagine while I'm preaching here this morning, in walk one of your congregation with his girlfriend, sit at the back there and kiss and cuddle and canoodle, and while we're singing, take my life and let it be, go out the back door, lock the door, well, we'll leave it there. It's unbelievable. That's how bad some had fallen in Israel. This young man called Phinehas, Moses' grandson, the son of Aaron, Moses' brother, takes, takes a spear, is so outraged, he walks through the tent, and the implications in the very act of their sin thrust a spear through them, and they're killed. 
No trial, no judge and jury, just execution. Then verse 8, the plague against the Israelites was stopped. In other words, through the death, the shedding of blood, atonement, and judgment was stopped. And God commends this man Phinehas for his zeal. Verse 11, for he was zealous as I am for my honour. There's a famous missionary to India called Henry Martin. He once said, I could not endure existence if Jesus wasn't glorified. It would be hell to me if he were always to be dishonoured. Phineas couldn't bear to see God's name so dishonoured. So God blessed him and his family for his faithfulness. And the names of these two people, Zimri and Crosby, enter the annals of shame in the Bible, alongside people like Cain and Lamech and Achan, Ahab Jezebel, Judas, Ananias and Sapphira, Demas, Zimri and Cosby. Well, that's the story. A little sordid. Now, here we are today, 2023. What's that say to us today? I think at least three things. I don't know what folks say about me when I'm not around. Oh, some people I have no worry about. If you ask my wife about me, I'm, I've no worries what you say about me. If you ask my kids, I've got no worries what they say about me. Mind you, if I were a different father or husband, they might say different things. If you could take a microphone into the throne room of heaven to hear God talk about you, his people, you'd love what he says about you. Psalm 16. As for the holy people in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. Psalm 148. He has raised up for a horn for his people, resulting in praise to all his godly ones, the people close to his heart. Isaiah 43, because you are precious in my sight and honoured and I love you, I'll give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. All my delight is in you, ICC. You are the people close to my heart. You, in my sight, are precious. Isn't that wonderful? Mind you, if you were a different kind of Christian, he might say different things. He longs to bless us. That's wonderful. Secondly, what God would give for a few more Phinehasses. Now, not to do quite what he did. Now, today we don't go around with spears. And then we, you know, 
God says, I'll repay, mine is vengeance, don't, don't you do it. Uh, but he wants men and women, as in Paul's word in Romans 12, who, are, who burn with zeal, who are zealous for love, passionate for good works, on fire to preach Jesus, obsessive in the pursuit of holiness, fanatical to live a life of spiritual faithfulness till the very end. I was preaching a while ago uh, in a church in Brisbane um, and I mentioned in my talk retirement. Now that's not an issue for most of you. It's a big one for me, not for you, but retirement. At the door, shaking hands, a guy said to me, probably in his 60s, early 60s, maybe late 50s, he said, Mike, I took retirement 24 years ago. 20, like he's like 36. I thought, what have you been doing for 24 years? Here's his answer, just drifting. Just drifting for 24 years? What, what about zeal? I, I made a promise when I was your age, when you were, what, 19, 20, whatever you were, that I would never lose the zeal I have at 20 when I'm 70. When I was 20 years old, I went on summer camps like you do, I got involved in Christian union, union like you do, very, very keen. Uh, when I began school teaching, I sought out the uh, Christian group in, this, in the school and joined the Christian group. At 24, I went as a missionary to Pakistan. I was, I was so on fire for Jesus. And you are in your 20s. The danger is the fire dies down. I, I know a guy in a church I was at for a while, a guy called John, lovely guy, Full of stories about all he'd done for Jesus. They were all 30 years old. Nothing in 30 years to talk about. Nothing. How sad is that? I've got a son, Joel. For a while, he'd give me tickets to go to Rod Laver Arena to watch my favourite pop stars. Now, I'm not into Taylor Swift, okay? I'm not, I'm, she's not my scene, like you. I'm into Fleetwood Mac. Who knows Fleetwood Mac? A few, one or two, okay. And Paul Simon, Simon Garfunkel, heard of them? One or two. Heard of Paul McCartney? Anybody, anybody heard of Paul McCartney? Yes? Oh, good. I, I went to their concert. These are old men, okay, in their 70s. Paul McCartney was here three weeks ago, wasn't he? In, in Marvels. Paul McCartney is 81. He sang for three hours. Non-stop. Fantastic. Why does he do it? Because he needs the money? <laughs> no, he doesn't need the money. He's a multimillionaire. Because he loves his music and loves his work and wants us to hear his songs. Paul Simon has a big hit. It's called Graceland. Has come to, that's where Elvis Presley lived, Graceland. That's my big hit. I sing about Graceland. The Graceland. Not in Tennessee, but in the age to come. I figure if Paul McCartney can sing his songs, which are just songs, when he's 80, I can keep preaching Christ with the same passion when I am 80, God permitting.
Beloved, never lose the zeal you have for Jesus. Be passionate when you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, to preach him and live for him. And finally, the lovely picture here in Numbers 25 of the gospel. There's sin, idolatry, immorality, betrayal, lust. There's wrath. Godanga breaks out and 24,000 people die. There's atonement, the shedding of blood. And the death of the guilty one satisfies God's wrath and the people are spared. A zealous priest, passionate for God's honour, makes a sacrifice and sins atone for. But the true story is that the true priest Jesus, passionate for God's honour, became the sacrifice. He became Zimri and Cosby. And the spear was thrust into his side. And his death ended the plague for all time. And all who trust him, countless millions, are spared. And that's why we sing when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood died he for me? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Sent from heaven God's own Son to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to the tree, oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. And when I think that God, his Son not sparing, sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul. Let's pray.